Let me just say real quick, I hope that you got to enjoy the beautiful weather outside yesterday. It was an amazing day. Um, and, and days like today and the spring weather and just all these different times we get to get outside just helps me to remember uh, just how amazing our God is and just all the detail that he put into creation. I mean, have you ever stopped to think about what God made? Have you ever thought, stopped to think about the detail that he put into creation, especially, think about this, the detail that he put into us as people, when he made Adam and Eve, when he made man and woman, my kids are, are enamored with shows about science stuff. We watch a lot of these things, and every now and then this show about, these shows about the human body will come on, or medicine, all these kind of things, and we'll sit down and watch these things, and, and there's these, all this stuff that just blows my mind how God made all this, and how he put all this detail together and made it all work so that we could live, so that we could thrive. Let me just share some random facts with you that may help you one day if you're ever on a game show about the human body, all right? Your body contains over 10,000, no, I'm sorry, over 100,000 miles of blood vessels. 100,000 miles of blood vessels running through your body. Your nose can remember over 50,000 different smells. And your eyes can recognize over 10 million different colors. It takes about 200 muscles to take one step. It takes 43 muscles to frown and only 17 muscles to smile. So it is less work to smile than it is to frown. Every day, your heart creates enough energy to drive a truck for over 20 miles. And just a random fun fact for you, they say that your nose is the same length as your thumb. Now I'm waiting on somebody to do this. Some, somebody, there we go. <laughs> I'm not sure you. Another random fact I heard. I don't know if this one's really true or not, but they say research says that those with excess body hair have higher intelligence. Now, I don't know what that says about the bald folks in the room, <laughs> but anyway, the human thigh bone is stronger than concrete, and when you sneeze, all bodily functions, including your heart, will stop, and that sneeze comes out at over 100 miles per hour. And so we, as human beings, are amazing creations. God has made us as the pinnacle of his creation. But as great as the human body is, there is one body that is greater. One body that God made that is even more magnificent. And that is the body of Christ, the church. And so this morning, I want us to talk about the church. But before we even dive into the scripture, let me just clear one thing up for us. And it's this, I think we kind of misunderstand when we talk about the church many times because we don't really attend church. We don't go to church. We don't drive to the church. And the reason I say that is because we are the church. That is Christ's followers who are gathered, we are the body of Christ. Biblically speaking, the church is not a building. It is not an event. It is not an hour on Sunday morning. It is a group of Christ followers who are gathered in a community to worship and obey their master and to serve him and to see their world reached for Christ. And so when we drive in the parking lot and we see a, a sign that says First Baptist Church of Fisherville, that's not saying this is the church. That's saying this is where the church gathers. And when we leave from this place, the church is not here. The church is out there. In our communities. And so now that we understand that, just to have that on the forefront, here's, here's the question I want us to answer today. Why do we need the church? Why does it matter if I, as a Christian, 
remain actively involved with the church. You see, the reality is we live, we live in an extremely individualistic society. We praise and we do things for the individual. There was a day and age in our world, in our country, I'm, I'm not really old enough to remember this, but I've heard about it and it's seen it on TV shows, where there used to be one television in the house. And if you wanted to watch TV, you gathered around that one television and you watched whatever dad wanted to watch. There was a time when you only had one phone in the house. There was a time when families spent most of their time together. But now we live in a day and age of headphones and personal screens and private bedrooms and people spending more and more time doing things separate. And so with that, with, with, with that idea, considering what we live in, considering all the technology that we have, the question you might hear is this, well, can't I just get just as much good out of listening to a podcast of a sermon online? Or out of watching some old videos of Adrian Rogers preaching from way back in the day, can't I just stay home and save the gas on Sunday mornings? Can't I just read some books? Won't that do me just as good? You know, it's really no surprise, considering all that our culture gives to the individual, it is really no surprise that so many people leave the church. Lifeway Research has told us that 70% of young adults will leave the church, many never to return. Another man by the name of James Emery White did a study in America, and he found that the fastest growing part of our population in America are those with no religious affiliation. As in, they don't consider themselves Christian, Jewish, Muslim, whatever. The fastest growing part of our population are those who say, I have no religion whatsoever. It grew from 36.6 million in 2007 to 55.8 million in 2014. It seems like the, the, the phrase of the day is this, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And every time I hear that, I think that can't be. Because you can't love a man and hate his wife. Because in doing so, you don't really love the man. And so you can't say you love Jesus Christ, but hate his bride. And so to answer this question of why we need the church... For any who may be wondering it today, and to answer it so that when your kid or your neighbor asks you this one day, which they probably will, let's go to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verse 42 through 47. We're going to be looking at the first church of Jerusalem. This was the church that was founded just after Pentecost. And let me just to help you understand what's going on here. It was a church that was made up of 120 followers of Christ, plus the 3,000 who were just saved the day before. And so this is a mega church overnight, that they went from 120 people to 3,100 people in one day. And so we see from these verses in Acts chapter 2, Verse 42 through 47, we see what is our purpose as a church as well as why we need the church in the first place. So let's look at chapter, verse 42. We're going to read down through 47. And they, that's talking about the believers in Christ in Jerusalem, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, 
praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now here's the first reason why we need the church. We need the church for worship and discipleship. Look back at verse 42. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now we're going to talk about fellowship in just a moment, but I want us to look first at the three things he says in this one verse that relate back to worship and to Bible study and to discipleship. First of all, he says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now the early church recognized very quickly that it was very important for them to gather together to be taught what Christ taught. They realized they needed to pass on the teachings of Jesus to these new followers. We see it again in verse 46 when we're told that they gathered day by day in the temple. It's most likely that they would gather together in what was called the court of the Gentiles, which was this enormous part of the temple where they could come together and the apostles could teach and the followers of Christ could hear and could learn. Now, unfortunately, we don't have apostles in our churches. There may be modern-day churches who call their pastors and people apostles, but they really have no reason or foundation to do so. But even though we don't have these apostles alive with us today, the good news is that we still have their teaching in the Word of God. When we consider the fact that the New Testament was founded upon the words of the apostles, that every single book in the New Testament ties itself back to either an apostle of Christ or someone who was close with Christ like Jude or James, who were the brothers of Jesus. And so when the church gathers, we do so to hear from the Word of God, which was handed to us by the apostles. We gather together so that preachers and teachers and men and women can disciple one another and guide one another to grow in their faith. That just as Proverbs 27, 17 says that man sharpens another like iron, so the church gathers together to sharpen one another with the Word. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2 says this. Paul told Timothy this. He says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so through the church, we're able to pass on generations of biblical wisdom to one another. I think about a couple of weeks ago when we uh, did our parenting potluck. Part of that morning was uh, we had three different couples come up who were been through the trenches in parenting and had them share wisdom with our families as to how to raise their kids to love the Word and to be in the Word. And it was so awesome to hear them share of testimonies, of stories of this is how they did it and this is how they passed on the Word. That is discipleship, folks. That is one believer passing on to another believer. Here is what God has shown me. Those couples would tell you very quickly they didn't do everything perfectly. That they didn't make all the right decisions. But I tell you what, when, when, when we heard their words, we heard their hearts, those who were there were blessed to hear how they did it so they could be inspired to do, to teach their kids to love the Lord as well. And so we need the church to be taught the Word of God. Not that it only comes through the Word of God. Yes, we can read it ourselves, but we learn in community. But secondly, Luke here writes of this thing called the breaking of bread. Now, this was a common phrase of the day for what we now call the Lord's Supper. 
what we would call communion. The church would gather together and celebrate the Lord's Supper. This was taken from Matthew 26 and the, the different gospel accounts of the Last Supper, obviously, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This first church, as well as we as Baptists, come together to celebrate the Lord's Supper for two reasons. Number one, to remember what Christ has done in his death, burial, and resurrection, and to anticipate his second coming. Now, as Baptists, we only celebrate, we only practice two ordinances, right? Lord's Supper and baptism. We feel like those are the two things that Christ has commanded us to do. We see the example right in Acts chapter 2. If you were to go back to verse 41, look at two, chapter 2, verse 41. You see what takes place. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so first, the church baptized. And then what did they do next? In the very next verse, it's saying they're doing what? Practicing the Lord's Supper. So this is not, these are not things that we do just out of habit, but these are biblical traditions that we do to pass on the faith. And let me just say this. If you are physically able to be here, you ought to be here when we practice the Lord's Supper. That it is that important of a thing for us as a church to gather together to remember what Christ has done and to anticipate His second coming. If you are physically able to be here, you ought to be here when we celebrate baptism. Because it's a way of, of one believer declaring to us as a church that they are identifying with Christ and wanting to be with us in fellowship. And if you have kids, they need to see these things as well. They need to be a part of these experiences as well because this is one generation of Christians passing on to the next those deep traditions of our faith that for thousands of years, for literally 2,000 years, the church has practiced these things. That when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we are doing exactly what they did in Acts chapter 2. And we are connecting ourselves with them in that long line of tradition. You know, you'd be amazed, parents, grandparents, I'm sure you probably already know this, but you'd be amazed the number of questions you'll get if you bring your kids to these things. This past year, now our kids are five. They're not believers in Christ yet. We are praying for that. This past year, we brought them a couple of times. We had the Lord's Supper. And you would not believe the number of questions we got about that. Our kids still talk about that. And they saw it Christmas Eve. Of all the things that a little five-year-old is going to remember on Christmas Eve, our kids remember the Lord's Supper more than most of it. Because they wondered about it. They're, they're visual learners. They see it and they think, what is all this stuff? What does that represent? And we've been able to share the gospel with them over and over again through those experiences. Now the third thing Luke here mentions that ties itself to worship and discipleship is this. He says that they gathered together for the prayers. Now the fact that in the Greek he mentions the prayers... It signifies that he was speaking of set times when the church would come together specifically for the task of praying together. For the task of praying with one another and for one another. I mean, isn't there something powerful about knowing that the body of Christ is praying together? That we are lifting up one particular need at a time together? There's something amazing about that. I believe God honors that faithfulness when his people humble themselves, fall to the knees, and pray to the Lord. Now, you might say to yourself, well, I can pray by myself, and you can. You might say to yourself, well, I can teach myself the Bible, 
then you can. You might say to yourself, well, I don't really need the community of the church. I can do all these things by myself. Well, you can to an extent, but you will never grow and learn as much as you would if you did so in the community of the church. Max Lucado wrote it like this. He said, questions can make hermits out of us, driving us into hiding. Yet the cave has no answers. Christ distributes courage through community. He dissipates doubt through fellowship. He never deposits all knowledge in one person, but distributes pieces of the jigsaw puzzle to many. When you interlock your understanding with mine, and we share our discoveries, when we mix, mingle, and confess and pray, Christ speaks. It's through the community of the church that we grow. But also notice this before I move on, i got to say this. In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves. If you were to go back to the original Greek, it's talking about a continual action. The tense of the verb there for devoting themselves was a, vo- a verb of continual action. So what he was saying here is this, is they were continually devoting themselves to these things. It was not a one-time thing. It was an ongoing action. It wasn't just during certain seasons of life. It wasn't just during times of crisis. It wasn't just when it was convenient. It was continual. It wasn't that our life and schedule dictates when we, act, when we are part of the church, but instead our activity in the church, our belonging to the church, dictates the rest of our lives. That's what it's referring to here. And so we need the church for discipleship, for worship. But there's more than that. Secondly, we need the church for fellowship. Look back in verse 42 again. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And then skip down to verse 44. It says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now the word fellowship here in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, is the word koinonia in the Greek. It means to fellowship together. If you were to drive down this way on, on, on Macon Road, you're going to pass that koinonia Christian fellowship. Now you know what that means. It means the word fellowship. Now oftentimes as Baptists, we equate a fellowship to what? Potluck, right? <laughs> we equate fellowships to meals together. You know, you know? And that's okay. You know, potlucks are good things. But fellowship is deeper than that. It's more than a meal. It's a relationship. It's a bond that we have to one another because we are believers in Christ together. Because we have linked arms and are walking together. Fellowship means to share something with someone. Or to share in an experience with someone else. To have fellowship with other believers would be to live life together. To give and to receive wisdom. To support. To encourage. To celebrate together. To cry together. And this goes right along with one of the signs of salvation that Jesus gave us back in John chapter 13 when he said this. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. The one another there is talking about other believers in Christ. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And so Christ makes it clear here that as disciples in Jesus, as followers of Jesus, we will love other believers. There will be a bond there between us that is as strong as family, if not stronger than family. We need one another. We need one another's strength. We need one another's encouragement. We need one another's accountability. We see it also in verse 44 through 45 where it talks about the fact that they were selling goods and providing for the needs of others. Now don't be mistaken, this was not some kind of communism. Because communism forces people to give up what they have. This was a voluntary thing where the believers would see a need just like we do as a church, and they would, they would come together and they would meet that need for the glory of God. And so then there was this community, and so now there should be this community where we bond together. Paul gives a great description of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I encourage you to go read this later today, where he compares the body of Christ to a human Body. And he argues that in, in, in the body of Christ, everyone has a part. Everyone has a role, and every single part of that body is necessary. And we all need one another. And every single part of that body is unique and plays a specific role. A hand on your body cannot survive apart from the body. And neither can an eye or a foot or even your head or your heart. And so we as Christians need one another. Now here lies the major, another major problem of our day. Because just as like we, we live for the individual, we are also a consumer society, are we not? Everything seems to revolve around buying stuff. Advertisements for stuff. And, and, you know, and I'm afraid we have adopted some of that mentality when it comes to the way we look at church. We look at churches like this. Well, I like this church because of what it offers. I'm going to go to this church because of the programs that it gives me, because of this and that and the other. And we start to shop for a church like we shop for a car. And we start to think about what it gives me. Or others will say this, well, I'm going to go here for a week, and I'm going to go here for a week. I'm going to bounce around from here and there and here and there and here and there. And all along the way, they miss the point that to be a part of the church is to connect yourself with a body of believers and invest in that body. Folks, the church is not a product to be picked through and consumed, but a body to be joined to and deeply connected to. I mean, think about it like this. Let's imagine that you had a friend that was going out of town next week and they were going to the beach. And your friend called you up and said, hey, I'm going to the beach uh, next week. We're going to go down to the Destin, uh, Destin Beach and hopefully we'll have some nice weather and just going to kick back and relax. Now, let's imagine that your eye looked at you and said, well, they're going to the beach, so I'm just going to leave you, so I'm going to see you later, I'm going to go with them. And that's ridiculous, right? Your eye cannot leave you. And so it's just as ridiculous to think that we as believers can survive apart from our body of Christ. And that it would be a good idea for us to bounce around. Instead, we need to invest ourselves in the church. Invest ourselves in relationships that span across generations. I believe parents need to go out of their way to make sure their kids build relationships with people of other generations. I think the best thing a kid can have in a church is some relationships with some folks with some white hair. 
some people who can pass off wisdom to them that they can't get on their own, that comes through years and years of experience. Research shows us that kids who develop strong bonds with other Christians across generations are more likely to have a faith that lasts through the life. And that makes total sense because you see it's those voices in their ears that can give them the encouragement they need to keep on keeping on for the faith. I read a true story the other day about a kid, a little girl who had got lost one time in her neighborhood. She was walking around and got confused and and uh, began to walk very frantically through the neighborhood and couldn't seem to find anything that helped her to find her way home. And so eventually she just lost hope and she sat down on the curb and she began to cry. And while she was sitting there crying, a police officer pulled up to her and asked if he could help. And she said, yeah, I don't know where I am. I can't even remember my address right now. She was so frantic, she just had totally forgotten everything. And so the officer said, well, just hop in the car and let's just drive around and eventually you're going to see something and that'll help you get home. Maybe you'll see your house. And so as they're driving around, this girl keeps saying, I don't, I don't recognize anything, I don't see anything here, here. And then they turned a corner, and she saw a building. That building was her church building. And she told the officer right in that moment, hey, you can stop right here, because I, I can always find my way home from the church. And isn't that true, folks? That it's the fellowship and love that we experience in the body of Christ that can help us to find our way home to Jesus. No matter how lost or lonely or frightened or hopeless we may feel. And then the last thing I'll say this morning is this. Is that we need the church to fulfill God's mission. Look at verse 47. It says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Now, how were people being saved back then? The same way that they're saved today. Through the gospel being preached. Through the church ministering to the world. As individuals, we have a mandate from Christ to bear fruit. John chapter 15, verse 8, Jesus said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Now, fruit in that passage could mean several things. It can mean obedience to Christ's commands. It can mean Christ-like character, the fruit of the Spirit, ministering to other believers. But one thing that it most definitely means is this, leading other people to Christ, to bring other people to the point of salvation. But the good news is that this is not a solo mission. This is not a mission where you were at it on your own. Instead, this is a mission that he gave to the body of Christ. I think about Matthew chapter 28 when Jesus came and he gave the Great Commission and he told us to go and make disciples and to baptize them, bringing them into the community of fellowship, right? And then to teach them all that we have been commanded. Don't you see the, same, the pattern from Matthew 28 in Acts chapter 2? where they were baptizing them, they were bringing them in and teaching them. And then we're going out and finding more and bringing them to Christ. We could turn to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus said that we're to go and make disciples, to be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Judea and to the ends of the earth. We could go to Matthew chapter 25, where Jesus says that those who are his followers will serve the least of these. 
In fact, I often wonder if the reason why Acts chapter 2, verse 47 says that they were finding favor with the people, I believe it's because they were being obedient to Matthew 25. Because they were serving their community. They were loving their neighbor. They were gracious and kind. And the world took notice and said, I want some of that. We have a mission from Christ to reach this world. And that mission came to the church. And we serve through the church. It can be very overwhelming when we think about this and think, how can I do anything to bring this world to Jesus? But when we think about the fact that we are in community to do so, it's a job that can be done. And parents and grandparents, let me just say this. Moms and dads, I don't know if you realize, but possibly the most impactful thing that you can do for your kids in their faith is to serve together. It's to minister to others together. In the research that I did for my schoolwork recently, I found at least two, if not three, studies um, that said that one of the most impactful things you can do for a kid's faith is to serve alongside them, is to get them involved in missions. And it makes complete sense because, because when you take a kid and you, and you walk arm in arm with them and said, hey, we're going to go show the love of Christ, you know what that does? It helps them to see that these are not just words on a page. It helps them to see that these are things that you really apply to your life. It helps them to see that mom and dad are really serious about what they say they believe. And so if you want your kids to still be following after Jesus when you're long gone, then today grab them by the hand and go serve Jesus. Don't be content just to put them on the church bus to send them on a trip. Go with them. Serve Christ together. Because arm in arm we can accomplish so much. I want to close with one last illustration. I read something the other day that I thought was really strange, but I thought fit this perfectly. How many of you have ever been bitten by a fire ant? Everybody? I got a picture of one. Y'all, I know y'all love these things, don't you? These are mean little critters, aren't they? I hate these little things. I read this week that uh, in the Amazon rainforest, they have tons and tons of these things. But you know what else they have in the Amazon rainforest? A lot of rain, Right? Now, if you were to take an ant and drop him in water by himself, guess what happens? He sinks. But if you were to take a bunch of ants and throw them in water together, check out what happens. They float. Look at this next picture. This is kind of creepy. This is like a road of ants running through the middle <laughs> of, a, of a little ditch or whatever, a little puddle. That these ants will grab onto one another, and by grabbing onto one another, they form rafts and they stay afloat. That they, they, don't just, they don't die, they don't just survive, but they thrive in a very difficult environment because they hold on to one another. Man in Christ, woman in Christ, believer in Christ, when we link arms together as a church, we don't just do so to give us something to do. We do so because that's the way Christ intended us to thrive in our that to survive in this world as a believer in Christ, we need to walk hand in hand with one another, teaching each other, praying for one another, worshiping together, ministering to one another, and reaching the world together with one another. This morning as we come to a time of invitation, 
There's really two invitations to, to offer today. First is this, is that maybe you're here today and you are not a part of the body of Christ because you are not a believer in Christ. You have never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ for salvation. I pray that today would be that day, that you would come into the family of God, that you would pray to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and admit that, number one, you are a sinner, that that sin has separated you from God, that just as the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, that you would believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that He came and lived a perfect life, and that He died on a cross for your sin and for my sin. And you would confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That you would say, I want Jesus to be the Lord and Master and Ruler of my life. I ask Him to forgive me of my sins. Today, wouldn't you do that? But today, maybe you're here and you realize that as a believer in Christ, you've never really been active in the body. Maybe you attend a lot, but you've never really been connected. Maybe you've never really served. Maybe you never really minister to each other. Maybe today is the day where you need to recommit yourself to the body. Where you need to say, I need to be a believer who's linking arms with other Christians around me. Encouraging each other. Strengthening one another. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that as we come to this time of invitation, God, you would move in our hearts. Father, we thank you so much for this church, for this body of believers who worships faithfully, who teaches your word, who serves you, who wants to reach our community. God, I pray that you would strengthen us today. I pray that there would be people in this church who would say, I need to be even more involved. I need to be even more connected. I need to use the talents and the gifts and the spiritual gifts that God has given me to minister here. I pray there would be people who would commit themselves to that today. And Father, if there are those in this room who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today would be that day that we would be able to to welcome them in to the body of Christ as they surrender their heart and life to Jesus. And it's in His name, His glorious name,